What's up, guys? Mike the Cop here for another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Police Podcast, presented by FantasyAssembly.com. Let me tell you, I'm very excited for today's show. Very special guest, Brandon Warren, who covers the Minnesota Twins for The Athletic. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, like I told you in the email, I consider myself a, a closet Twins fan at this point, and a lot of that has to do <laughs> with me owning Byron Buxton and Fantasy. But this team actually is very good, and I still think they're very underrated. 2017 was a great year. Lost in the wild card game. No one thought they would even be there. Molitor wins manager of the year. Now they turn all their focus to Otani. And we could do a whole podcast talking about Otani, but this is what I want to do. I want to put you in Thad Levine's shoes. So you're the GM right now. I asked you two, quest- two questions straight off the Otani questionnaire, you could call it. And the first one is, why are the Twins a desirable place to play? Because they're probably, <clears throat> well, one of the more up-and-coming teams in the major leagues. He'd fit in with a young culture of players around Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton, Andy Rosario. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it just would be a good fit for him. The market is, it can be as big as he wants or as small as he wants. Minneapolis is a city where you can be a star or you can blend in if you choose. And honestly, it's just going to be a spot where if he wants to hit, they can offer him DH at bats as well. You know, give him 300, 400 at bats to see just how well he can handle MLB pitching. And if they decide then that it's not going to work, they have other options. So they can they can fulfill any of his desires and kind of be malleable for whatever he wants in his big league experience. And if that changes, which is totally understandable, maybe a year down the road, they can also help him out there. Now, how do you think something like that will work with the at bats? Say he pitches on Monday. They have a game on Tuesday. Is you think they'll put him right into DH on Tuesday, or they'll give him the day off, and then he'll DH the next three until the turn, his next turn in the rotation, something like that? I'm not even sure the teams know at this point, and maybe not even Otani. I think it's just that he, you know, knows how successful of a hitter he was over in Japan, and and gotta give him credit, he was quite a hitter, eight hundred and some OPS over the I think it was six or seven years he was over there, uh, you know, as a position player and pitcher and so I think you know you give him a chance to kind of feel out what he's capable of too because I don't know what their playing schedule is like over there in terms of games or season length but over the course of a year it's very easy a guy like that could wear out because obviously pitching alone is is a really difficult thing and then you have to consider too you know adding adding hitting you know let's just say 300 400 plate appearances that that's a lot of toll on a, a human body, even if he is, you know, 23 years old and, and in good shape, you know, young guy. I don't know that guys can necessarily undergo that sort of stress and strain. So you give him what he wants and, and you kind of alter your expectations from there. And so I, w- I would guess he'd probably hit two or three days in between starts, but not the day right after. But that's total guesswork, I have to be honest. Yeah, but not many teams have what the Twins can offer. I mean, he's obviously going to the American League where he could DH, and the Twins have the money, and the Twins are kind of on the rise, so it seems like a very good fit all around. One question that was part of the questionnaire, which I I have a hard time answering. I put myself in the GM shoes for multiple teams, and I have a very hard time answering this for the Twins. Maybe you could answer it. One of the questions was, what resources are there for Otani's cultural assimilation into their city are the Twins going to be able to provide something like the Yankees would when you could tell him you're going to be in the middle of New York, you're going to take over New York, you know what I mean? 
they just hired a Japanese trainer, an assistant trainer from the Diamondback system who had won Pacific Coast League Trainer of the Year. Um, I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but I was I was reading about that yesterday. So I think beyond that, though, it's again, you know, they can offer that he can own the city as well in terms of, uh, you know, multicultural things and, and being a star. But, you know, the bright lights in New York might appeal to a guy more than the fairly dim ones in Minneapolis. And sometimes you just have to play the card you're dealt in terms of what city you are and, and what you are capable of. So I think that's where the Twins would have to downplay their ability while, you know, maybe um, overplaying something else. Like, you know, you can have the privacy you choose if that's what you want in Minnesota. Fans aren't going to be rushing up to you all the time. You can have a fairly normal life. So I don't know. It's going to be something where they're going to have to research his character and see what he prefers and then just kind of try to cater to that. But, you know, that that's that's a place where a market like Minneapolis is certainly going to lag behind Los Angeles or New York City or probably even Boston for that matter. One of the things I like about Otani, I mean, I could be wrong in the long run here, but he seems like he's more interested in the purity of the game than all the bright lights. So, And that's why I think Minnesota has a very realistic shot. Also, they have that spot where they could just slide him into the DH very easily. They don't really got to move too many things around. And they need the rotation help. So Minnesota seems like a very good fit to me. I actually, personally, like I said, I'm becoming a closet Twins fan here. I hope they land them because that would just propel them to probably do great things this season. Yeah, and if it helps land any more top-tier talent, whether it's Carlos Santana to DH or another starting pitcher, that's kind of where the difference is between the Twins and not only Cleveland for the division, but hopefully someday challenging Houston as one of the better teams or, or, or the Yankees as the better teams in the AL. And if you can add Otani at his cost, that's another benefit too because he doesn't cost much. You know, if you add Otani and Arietta, you know, that's uh, that's two great players at the price of one. And so that's, that's a pretty rare opportunity for a team like the Twins, a team like pretty much any team that's in the market for pitching. And so, I don't know. I mean, the big thing, too, is that Cleveland is going to be weakened by the fact that they are probably going to lose Santana, Jay Bruce, Brian Shaw. So it, it's, it's funny how all these puzzle pieces, you take a puzzle piece from one team and give it to another, well, you've weakened the team that lost that player for the most part, too. And that's where the Twins are kind of at this year, is if they have a really strong winter, they can they can gain ground on Cleveland because Cleveland is most likely going to get a fair amount weaker as uh, as the winter goes on. Yeah, it's definitely a time for the Twins to make moves here, and it's definitely a good time to be a Twins fan. And you mentioned Arietta, which is something I want to get into. I'm looking at the rotation here. You got Irvin Santana, Berrios, Mejia, Kyle Gibson, Phil Hughes. The rotation needs the help. Say the Twins strike out on Otani here. Where are they going besides Arietta? Is there anybody else they, they're interested in? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the big five. And I've written about this for The Athletic. I even wrote about it for zone coverage at the place I write about the Twins. But you've got Arietta, Lance Lynn, and Alex Cobb are kind of the, the, the next tier of guys. Arietta, you know, we don't know if he'll ever get back to that Cy Young type stuff. But even on years where he's kind of in a downswing, he's still a very good pitcher, three-point-something ERA, some strikeouts. You know, he's had some tr- trouble with command because his pitches moved so much. But this is a guy who, again, even in down years, is is a very, very good pitcher. And, you know, with, with starting pitchers, it's so weird because sometimes it's just one tweak to their delivery or their grips or something else, and they, they can get back to where they were. 
this is a guy who's going to be 32 next year. He's got like 1,100 MLB innings. And Johnny Cueto, who's just one month older than him, has thrown almost 600 or 700 more innings than that. So at 32 and with so few MLB innings, uh, I don't think it's likely that he's he's done. I think he's got some bullets left in that right shoulder. And, you know, hopefully that wherever he lands, he can turn it around. And if it's Minnesota, that's that's a good fit because I think if you can go into a short series with Barrios, Santana, and Arietta, or, or any one of these guys, you at least have a chance. Like like I said in my other podcast, you need at least three pitchable guys in a, in a short series or, or you're not really going to have a chance. And so, like, if the Twins had gotten past the Yankees in the wild card game, that probably would have been where they got exposed, you know, against Cleveland. So if, uh, if they can go out and get that third starter, beef up the bullpen a little bit, suddenly it's a team that can have a chance in a five-game or even a seven-game series. I totally agree. Have you heard anything on you, Darvish? Maybe him coming over with Otani, or is there any chance he comes over without Otani? Well, on Sunday, Thad Levine was on the program with Jim Duquette on MLB Network Radio and said, yeah, they're they're totally in on, on excuse me, Darvish. And obviously, few people are going to know Darvish as well as Thad Levine because Levine was in Texas when they signed him and in Texas for multiple years while Darvish was there. You know, Darvish, I don't think Darvish is necessarily a runaway number one pitcher. He's going to get paid like one, and he's got the repertoire like one. But, you know, these, he's got those blow-ups to kind of keep his numbers inflated a little bit. And I think it's because we've kind of determined he's been tipping pitches. But this is a guy who's about 4.6 Fangraphs war per 200 innings. So he's not your Clayton Kershaw, your Max Scherzer, your Chris Sale. But he's maybe a step down from that. But again, that's you know a team like the Twins. He would be their easily number one. And Darvish and Rios and Santana. That's that's a formidable one, two, three. So um, again, though the competition is going to be swift and severe there. I don't think many teams care that he didn't pitch particularly well in the World Series because honestly, if you look at the World Series and say, yeah, we'd love to give him another shot at the World Series because that means we're getting to the World Series. So. Um, I, I don't think his market's going to be hurt by that. And I think a pitching coach who thinks they can find something in his delivery is going to be jumping up and down at the chance to have him in his rotation. Yeah, and I think Darvish should be a, a great addition for them because looking at their staff here, they don't really have anybody that strike guys out. I mean, Berrios does, but between Mejia, Irvin's case per nine was around the seven. Gibson's case per nine were under a seven. Same with Hughes. They need that one guy that's going to come out and strike out nine, ten guys a game. So another problem I see here, and I don't see too many problems when I break down this roster. The hitting's great. We'll get to the hitting in a minute, but the relief pitching between uh, you lose Belisle, Perkins is gone, his days are over. So now you're sitting there with guys like Presley, Duffy, Rogers. Hildenberger is great. Don't get me wrong. Is Hildenberger going to be the closer when the season opens up, or are they going to go get somebody? Maybe uh, Alex Colomay, Wade Davis. I think you really have to cast a wide net when it comes to relief help for this team. And, you know, there's different tiers in free agency and also trades like call May because Tampa's got to cut some salary. And it's, it, it boils down to, do you want to get someone who's closed before and pay that rate? Or do you want to sign someone like on Nicasio who you can, you know, shoehorn into that role, maybe at seven, $8 million per year. Honestly, I, if it's me, I'm probably signing someone like Jake McGee and someone like Pat Neshek or Nicasio. You know, not Wade Davis, not Greg Holland, but definitely got maybe two guys from that next tier. And then you let it kind of pan out based on who pitches the best. I mean, if you want 
Hildenberger closing because he's the best fit for that. You fortified the front end while not stealing from that by moving Hildenberger. You know, a deep bullpen is a good bullpen, and you just slot guys in. It's not necessarily going to be about what roles guys are handed right away, but what roles they settle into. And so even Brian Shaw, you know, is, is good enough to, to work late innings for, you know, the, the Twins, maybe not closing, but so I, I, I think there's probably maybe even a dozen guys who make sense, including bringing back Belial or Brandon Kinsler for this team. And so I think it's going to be a creativity thing, but I do think they probably have to add two arms in addition to some of the youngsters they have coming up, like John Curtis and, and guys like that. Just out of curiosity, a team with World Series aspirations, especially if they get Otani, would you be comfortable with Hildenberger being the closer on opening day? Yeah, he's good enough to do that. Um, he's he's kind of like Pat Neshek in that he comes from a lower arm slot, but he fades the changeup really well to lefties to keep them honest. And so maybe he doesn't strike lefties out as much, but he gets a lot of like looping pop-ups to the left side of the infield and, and short outfield. So I, I really do think he he's capable of closing, but he doesn't have that traditional closer skill set. He would be very much more like a like a Steve Ciszek type, maybe a little more on the deception than a power stuff. And they've got guys that have power stuff. John Curtis throws in the upper 90s. Alan Buznitz throws in the upper 90s too. But those guys just aren't as polished and put together. I mean, Hildenberger really just hit the ground running and was terrific from day one. And I think that's going to continue here moving forward. Yeah, I like him. He had a, he had a very good season. I'm excited to see what he could do next year. Now, two guys, my fantasy owners, ripped their hair out over the last couple of years I want to get to right here. First guy is Byron Buxton. Second pick of the 2012 draft. Still very young, about to be 24 years old. Everybody knows about his glove. but And as a Buxton owner for the last couple of years, 2016 started off terrible, got sent down. Came up September, killed it. 2017, everybody's all over him because of the September he had. And before the All-Star break, he had 216. Now, post-All-Star break, everybody knows he had 311 homers, absolutely killed it again. What is there to expect from him this upcoming season? Is he going to take the next step? Is there a possible regression? Because I don't want to put all my chips into into one thing here with Buxton and be disappointed again, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think you're looking at a B.J. Upton 2.0, and B.J. Upton at his peak was was really good. Now, there are, are there going to be times where he'll fall into ruts where he's in an 0-2 count nonstop or – chasing sliders off the plate, but the physical skills and tools there are just off the charts good. And I think he's the kind of guy who can hit 260, take enough walks to be league average, but have plenty of power. And the thing about power with a guy that fast is his slugging percentage is going to skew upwards because he can steal extra bases. And I don't mean stealing bases in terms of stolen bases, but he turns doubles into triples, he turns singles into doubles, and that's going to boost your slugging right there. Then again, too, he stole every base this year successfully, and the one time he was caught, he overslid the base against the Orioles. So, I mean, this is a guy who is a terrific, terrific base runner, um, not, not just fast, but just really good at reading pitchers and all that sort of thing. Honestly, I, I don't think his, his skills will ever let him be one of those post-hype sleepers where people are going to forget about him altogether. But man alive, there's a chance that if you get him in the middle rounds, he provides first or second round value just because of how physically talented he is. And if you look at some of his per month stretches, you can see the kind of guy who could be the next, you know, number three or four overall pick in a draft behind your Mike Trouts and all that and Jose Altuve. So 
I, I don't want to oversell him because he's still got a ways to go, but you, you get a lot of excitement from watching him play even at the level he played at from May 1st on last year, which is I think like a 740, 750 OPS. When a guy can have that kind of OPS and still be a star, that tells you a lot about his physical tools and the stuff he does in addition to with the bat. Yeah, and once he figured out the whole leg kick situation, it seemed like everything changed for the better. Yep. Would you? Would you? I don't want to say guarantee, but would you put him down for twenty homers, twenty stolen bases this year? Uh, if he only steals twenty bases, that would be a pretty big disappointment. I. I think 20 homers and 40 steals is where I'd be at. And I, I, I fervently believe that. I mean, the guy can fly. And if they hit him lower in the order like they have, you know, fifth or sixth, I think there's more free reign because, uh, to run because then, you know, you're not worried about taking at-bats out of the hands of Miguel Sano in front of him you know, or, or RBIs out of his hands. They have to create more in front of a Jorge Polanco or a Jason Castro. And so that's why he can run wild a little bit. So I really do think he's going to steal a lot of bases this year. 2040 is definitely what I'm looking for and definitely what most Byron Buxton owners are looking for. Another guy, guys are pulling their hair out over his last couple of years, Berrios, and he's still only 23 years old, and he's always dominated the minor leagues. He came up in 2016, and this kid couldn't throw a strike. 58 innings, his ERA was over an eight. Last year, he kind of kind of came around he finished the year with pretty good numbers, but post-All-Star break, he struggled a little bit. His ERA was, I think, a little over a 4-2. What's the deal with him? Is he going to be a top-of-the-line starter this year? Yeah, I think so. I think he just faded a little bit in the second half, whether it was fatigue, whether it was scouting reports getting out a little bit about how he liked to attack hitters. But I really do think that's a guy who, you know, I, I'm not sure he's a number one. Like, he's not going to be a seven-war player or anything like that, but uh, a very sturdy number two and maybe good for 3.6, you know, 3.5, 3.6 ERA every year. Plenty of strikeouts. He might be a little bit susceptible to the home run ball, but his stuff is so good. The curveball is absolutely filthy. And he seems to have a good head on the shoulders, good command of his repertoire. Uh, I'm a big fan. And uh, granted, I get to watch him pitch every fifth day and in person 15 times per year. But I tell you what, he's uh, he's a really skilled, really talented kid and a really smart kid besides, and a good guy. And so he's, he's an exciting one. I think he's going to be another one who can really take that step forward in on fantasy teams to, uh, you know, win some championships for some people who take him maybe a little later in the draft. Unless I feel the same way you do, draft Buxton as high as you can, draft Barrios as high as you can. I think those guys are in for some pretty big years. A couple other guys yeah. – now, there's three guys on the Twins who I, actually, I love watching. They're Jorge Polanco, Eduardo Escobar, and Eddie Rosario. Polanco's 24, Escobar's 29, Rosario's 26. All three had phenomenal seasons. Rosario hit 290. Uh, Escobar had 21 homers. Rosario had 27 homers. Polanco, 13 homers, 74 RBIs. All had great years. I hate to be a downer, but chances are one guy's not going to repeat that success if you had to pick one out of the three to not have as good as a year this year, who do you got? Escobar, and it's not really particularly close. With Rosario, the walk rate jumped up a bit, and you know it wasn't. It's still not enough to be like league average, but with his physical tools and skills and contact, bat to ball, all that stuff, it'll play. You know, and I think he was a 27, 28 home run, something like that. With Escobar, though, it's just I, I don't 
see a guy who can pop 20 home runs per year. He doesn't really have a starting spot locked down because he filled in at third base while Miguel Sano was down in the second half of the season. And so, I don't know, I just I don't think Escobar is going to ever hit 20 home runs again. He never came close to that beforehand. You know, we've got the rumors of the juiced ball in the big leagues this last year. And it's, it's about opportunity. He's a really nice utility player slash fringe starter. Doesn't take many walks, but he's, he's a really nice player, really good guy to have in the clubhouse. I just, I don't think there's any way he's going to hit like he did in terms of raw power again. Um, I'm a huge Polanco guy, though. Uh, physically gifted, um, but, but uh, the kind of guy that's got quiet skills. He's not going to jump off the screen at anybody, but, you know, good contact and he can run a little bit. At shortstop, he gets better every day. And he's impossibly young. I mean, people forget he was born in 1993. That's, you know, that's a young guy. He's going to be 25 this year. He's already got big league experience in parts of four seasons. I mean, he's he's going to be a really nice player moving forward. And I I would be the kind of person to buy low on a Polanco after that rough stretch he had in the middle of the year, which tamped down his numbers quite a bit. Because if you look at his second half, people couldn't get him out. It's funny. I actually, I'm a big Polanco guy, maybe solely for the fact that I had him and I started him on the day of the doubleheader where he hit those two homers. I think it was against the White Sox this year. And ever since then, he's really been tearing it up. So he had a great season too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a really great player. He's he's going to be a, a I, don't, I don't know if he'll necessarily be a star, but at shortstop, the bar is not that high offensively. If you can pick the baseball up defensively, he can do a little bit of everything. And I think that's that's a nice player. Yeah, I agree. Now I'm looking at the roster here. You got Castro, Mauer, Brian Dozier, Polanco, Sano, Kepler, Buxton, Rosario, I mean Escobar, Grossman, Vargas. The names go on and on on the offensive side. And we talked about the pitching. Can you give me one guy that you think will take the next step this year? Maybe we talked about him already. Maybe we haven't. That will really cement his name in the fantasy world? Well, I think Max Kepler's the guy that people are still kind of waiting on. And he was the Southern League MVP. That's double A two years ago. He beat out Orlando Arcia of the Milwaukee Brewers, who's obviously a very gifted player as well. The big thing for Kepler is he hasn't hit lefties in the big leagues, and that's really kept his numbers down. And he also just goes through stretches where he's just not productive. But there's a good approach. He makes adjustments. He's a smart guy, athletic, all the stuff you ask for in a young player. And he just needs to kind of piece it all together. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's the kind of guy that hits 40 doubles and 20 home runs. He's just he's a terrific hitter and pretty good defensive player, pretty good arm from time to time that kind of comes and goes. But, uh, you know, I think Kepler of the guys that we haven't talked about is, is kind of the, the, the guy who's going to take the next step that is uh, maybe a little bit more under the radar, which is hard to believe because he's been a top 100 prospect before. Yeah, he, he's shown the flashes, so he's definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And if they get even better, better production from him, I mean, they're going to be a very scary team. One thing we haven't spoke about yet, is the prospects and as good as the twins are now, and that's without Otani and without the starting pitching, these prospects are awesome. You got Royce Lewis, who's number 26. He's 18 years old. He was the first pick in the draft. Nick Gordon, D Gordon's half brother. was the fifth pick in the 2014 draft. He's great. Ranked number 29. You got Steven Gonzalez ranked number 63, the lefty Fernando Romero ranked number 70, a righty. He had Tommy John, but he's on his way back. 
any prospects that we're expecting to see this year, or are these guys still developing down there? No, I, I think Gordon and Gonsalves and Fernando Romero are kind of the guys who are next up. Gordon is probably a better fit at second base than short. So there'll be some moving around of pieces here as as far as, uh, you know, how they're going to accommodate that, or maybe there's a trade to, to get some pitching in here. But it's Gordon kind of as an offensive player. Lewis, you know, number one overall pick, probably going to move pretty fast. Maybe he'll be in the big leagues by 20 or 21, but that's still a couple years away. But then pitching-wise, Gonsalves got his highest AAA, had some pretty nice numbers last year, and is not far away whatsoever. Um, Fernando Romero is kind of more exciting. He's got kind of a more dynamic pitch repertoire, throws a little harder, a little more nasty stuff from the right side. But I think Gonsalves is a bit more polished. You know, he's he's a, kind of your classic lefty, 92 with a good breaking ball. Zach Littell came over in the trade from the Yankees, so I'm sure you guys are pretty familiar with him. But he got added to the 40-man roster in the offseason here with Gonsalves. Um, I don't really care for pitcher wins and losses, but he was like 19-1 and last year in the minor leagues. Just looks like a good polished guy. Doesn't necessarily look like he's maybe going to be a star or anything, but it's another guy who is going to help this team sooner rather than later. So it's it's not necessarily a farm system that jumps off the page like, you know, the the Braves did before they lost some of their guys with that handle stuff or or, you know, the Chicago White Sox after all these trades they've made. But it's a good, sturdy farm system that can pro- provide the Twins with ma- major league cal- caliber capable help. And that's kind of an underrated thing. I mean, you can have all the high-end prospects you want, but if guys don't come up and help you in the big leagues, it doesn't really make any difference. And a lot of, a lot of it, too, is the Twins were one of those number one prospect teams two or three years ago. Most of those guys are up and contributing, which is, is huge. For as much crap as the the Twins player development gets, they uh, you know they've they've turned out some big big players. Most of this starting lineup is guys who came up through the system. It's you know Jason Castro didn't, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and all around, I mean the roster breakdown looks great. The the prospects look great for 2018. Worst case scenario, the Twins finish where? Absolute worst case, where do they finish? Uh, I mean, the thing about the Central is that teams are really bottoming out. So the White Sox are still not going to be very good, and Kansas City is going to be in trouble. Detroit is awful. So if they finish below second place, it's really going to be an upset. Because the Royals are losing all kinds of talent in free agency. I mean, even if they bring back one or two of those guys, it's still a team that was not very good last year. So it's it's going to be a Huge upset if the Twins finish worse than second place. I, I, I think that's the first time I've said this out loud, and I, I think that's where I'm going to stand is they cannot backslide to a point where they finish worse than second. If that happens, things went seriously wrong. Yeah, I agree. So, listen, really appreciate you coming on the show. Any uh, Anything left? Twins, I mean, they're a great team. There's not much else to say. Otani. Well, I I think they should try sign a DH this offseason, whether it's Carlos Santana, who I think is the safest bat in the system uh, in the in free agency, or get creative with a guy like Logan Morrison. But it's not that they need another bat, but it's that they have the opportunity to add one, and the market rates are not going to be that expensive on guys like that. So 
I would add one of those guys, and, and if it's Santana, you've got a leadoff hitter, and you can move Dozier down. If it's Morrison, you've got a guy who popped almost 40 home runs last year. You know, go to bat for these guys and, and load up. Yeah, I agree. Listen, Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. Everybody go follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon underscore Warren. That's W-A-R-N-E. Athletic Min, Sports Radar US, Zone Coverage MN, and follow me at Mike TH3COP. Brandon, appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. All right. Have a good one.